I never thought about, you know, how we have these perceptions around food, even about the time that we eat the food. So say it's lunchtime, like we never question, you know, maybe I'm not even hungry at lunch, you know, but people were kind of almost say, well, if you don't eat it now, you know, you'll never know when you get the next bit. But is there, was that a big discovery for you in your journey that you said, hey, hang on a minute, you know, everybody's eaten a certain way because that's learned behavior and nobody's questioning it. But I have a, an autoimmune condition myself and um, I've been through some little um, health um, ups and downs, but obviously food has has always been um, one of those things that if it's right, it's good. If it's not right, it's not good, you know, so I <laughs> I definitely recognize that in, in my life and I'm, I'm passionate. That's what makes me passionate about it because I can I can tell uh, the relationship it has to uh, contribute to the to my health. So can I ask you um, to kind of dive in and to talk about um, being a, a somatic therapist? And I've tried to read up, I've been reading your book, I have it here beside me and I've read up on, on the work that you do. And it's funny because in the title of your book, it says, ah, food, why do you trouble me so much? But you actually don't necessarily talk about food items in the book, really, much at all. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I just want to point that out because people might say, oh, it's a diet book or he's he's on a special diet or he's recommending a special diet. And it's it's definitely not that at all. So I suppose just to tra- track back um, to what a, a somatic therapist actually is. Yeah, so it's hard to find because it's not a term people used. One of my teachers used it when I first met him 18 years ago, I think. And because we use often five to seven therapies which have different names, he just kind of started using that term um, because somatic refers to the body. Um, But we do things like visceral manipulation and cranial sacral therapy and um, structural integration of the Rolf method. And I use acupressure and reflexology. So I'm using a lot of things too much to put on a business card. So we just started calling it like somatic therapy. Um, and it was just an easy catch all that wasn't used for anything else. Um, and when I wrote the book, I was trying to find something that I could use. Um, and so I thought back on what he used on his business card, which was just somatic therapy. So. Yeah. And so you've been practicing that for nearly two decades at this, at this point. Yeah. Um, next year will be, now let's see, it'll be 19 years in February. So, I have to think about that. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't want to uh, to sound like I'm like depressing, like two decades of of it. But that's awesome. It's a it's a huge achievement. So people people recognize re- reflexology, um, acupressure. Maybe some people might recognize that. But what do all those? And you said visceral uh, manipulation. What do all those things have in common? Because a lot of them are more about maybe the outside of your body, you know. And if you had say like for example in your book you talk talk a lot about issues with digestion if somebody has issues with digestions they're they're probably going to go to their their general practitioner and you know maybe get some medication maybe take some over-the-counter stuff but the stuff that you um practice in seems to be more on the outside of the body Mm -hmm. would that be correct yeah definitely so I'm, i'm usually going through the body itself so i have my hands on people and i'm working 
with them that way. Although visceral manipulation works a lot with the stomach and the intestines and the position of things, which helps digestion quite a bit. And so a lot of ways I'm trying to come at it from a different perspective than we do usually. So, and that's with the the premise of the book too, was like, how do I get at this in a different way rather than fad diets or drugs or things like that, that might come from the outside in what would be an inside out kind of way to, to change things. So, Yeah. And talk, so talk to me about, um, going back to the start of your story in the book, um, the way that it kind of, um, the book started expanding was beginning of your story. Can you talk to me about those issues that you had experienced for pretty a long time in your life before you found some, you know, you found an answer and a lot of people might listen and they might have also experienced different digestion issues. Can you bring me back to that point in your life of what you were experiencing and the kind of different remedies you were given at that point in time? Yeah, you bet. Um, so I had so many different kinds of problems. It was tricky for me to narrow them down, but if there's a, <laughs> if there's a digestive issue, I've probably had some form of it at some point, you know, so I've been diagnosed with a lot of different things over the years. Although for me, after I found the right doctor, a lot of it had to do with infections. And so I had a series of parasites in my gut. Um, and then I had had some, I got a tick bite. And so I had a few infections from that. So the Lyme disease family of things and Bartonella, rickettsia, some things like that, that are a little bit hard to find and then hard to treat, but can get into your system and stay there for a long time. But then they can have a big effect on your digestion and your neurotransmitters, um, and how that all fits together in your gut and your microbiome. So it ends up setting up a whole series of problems. Mm. And when you were um, having experience in those problems, you did you go to a, a, a doctor, a local doctor, and get something that was prescribed in the form of like a medication? Or what kind of ways were you trying to remedy um, the symptoms? Yeah, at that time, I think I went to... I think over the time before I got to the one that found it all, I, I went through like 50 doctors, I think. Um, wow. And so wow. there was, yeah, <laughs> and, and a lot of different, you know, like prescriptions, like Imodium and Pepto and a lot of things that were just like, well, it's genetic. There isn't anything you can do, live with it. Um, and I think because the symptoms were so all over in a lot of ways, it was tough for them to narrow down on something specific. And then they didn't have, a, is, you know, as many medications as they do now to help out those kinds of specific problems. So... But yeah, I talked to everyone I could find for a while. <laughs> yeah. And and what were the frustrations then? You know, with with all the with the fifty doctors, what what was the commonality, or what or was there a commonality? You know, they were trying, but I, I think in a lot of ways it was because I was young, and they're like, well, maybe he'll grow out of it, or you know, maybe it's emotional. A lot of those kinds of things. Very few of them were rude to me, where they just were dismissive. Like I've heard they've been with a lot of other people with some of those problems, um, but it was like they just didn't have any answers. And I was at some point, I was like, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. And even if that means I'm going to have to f read some kind of four thousand year old therapy and figure it out how to do it on myself to figure it out, then I'll do that. And that's kind of what led me to doing all the different work I do now. Anyway, was trying to solve my own problems. Yeah, and um, at that point, what role did food play in your life? Well, I think it's one of the things that's interesting, the way your family introduces you to food. 
and how it's used for all kinds of things, social and emotional and those kinds of things, plus what they can afford at the time. And so mm. at that time, I didn't have a lot of options to things where I could play with that much. You know, sometimes it was, well, all we have is English muffins and cheese. And so we'll make little pizzas out of those or whatever. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of choices then, you know, as I, as I got older, I played with a lot of things. And if there's a diet, I've probably tried it um, often for half a year, a year, a couple years to see what changes it would make for me. Um, some of them were good, some were bad. And <laughs> it, it was also what drove me to figure out sort of an inside out method rather than an outside in method, like a diet. Yeah. And that's something that I found very interesting was in your book, um, just talking about the the accessibility of food or your perceptions of food. Can you talk to me about, you know, and uh, like I'm I'm, I'm passionate about this because when I started, when I heard about the work that you do and I started reading into your book, I was, you know, thinking, I said, I never thought about, you know, how we have these perceptions around food, even about the time that we eat the food. So say it's lunchtime, like we never question, you know, maybe I'm not even hungry at lunch, you know, but people were kind of almost say, well, if you don't eat it now, you know, you'll never know when you get the next bit, you know, and it's, or even, I mean, things that we, we can't necessarily control would be, you know, accessibility or anything that you can afford, um, in terms of the quality of produce that you're eating or the, or the types of food that, that you're eating, but is there, was that a big discovery for you in your journey that you said, hey, hang on a minute, you know, everybody's eaten a certain way because that's learned behavior and nobody's questioning that. Yeah, it was one of the things I tripped over kind of hard was a lot of what people do, um, particularly around diet, but in all kinds of places in their life are completely automatic. No one thinks about it. No one questions it. Um, a lot of times they're habits we've had for 200 years that don't necessarily make sense anymore. So maybe 200 years ago, you might run out of food or it might not grow or you might not be able to get something else. But that isn't mm. quite how things are right now. You know, not even close. You can go to the supermarket almost any time and get pineapple from some Caribbean place that you normally couldn't get, even where I live in Wyoming, you know. And so a lot of things are different than they were even 50 years ago um, in that respect. And so I think it's, it's worth questioning some of those things um, to solve some of those deeper problems. And what would be, what would you see as those main concerns if you had a client come in and they say, oh, you know, I eat like a regular person, you know, and I'm saying quote unquote, like a regular person, what kind of are the biggest questions that you would have asked yourself? Like, was it the timing of food? Was it your was it like eating raw food versus cooked food? What was there anything that was kind of stuck out to you or that you significantly changed? Yeah, I think in that case, if I was talking to someone else or even for myself, the first step is to make everything that you're doing with food sort of conscious to you without mm -hmm. judgment, you know, because people will, they get really judgy with themselves about food because there's been so many messages and so many things sold to them and so many ideas about who you are and your character and all kinds of things wrapped up in the food. And so if you can just get them to watch themselves for a while without being really judgmental and kind of break down the judgmental thing that'll probably come up as they trip over it, then you can start to see all kinds of things that are causing problems over time. Before I got to something like what food works well for you, are you doing better with cooked food or raw food, or do you have any vegetables in your diet? you know, those kinds of things that they might trip over that a little bit more specific. Um, at first it really helps to break up the, the conversation they're having in their head about food and all the habits and all the things that go with it. So then you can make an easier change. You don't have to fight against those things later on. Mm. And so one of your, 
one of your part, um your chapters is let's think about why we eat and you asked what you know what is your relationship with food like what it, why do you eat I and maybe other people that listen don't know why I eat <laughs> and sure. I, I was I, I you said why do you eat and I'm thinking I don't know because <laughs> I'm not sure you know and maybe that's really I'm on the far end of it and it's it's so subconscious to me and you need to pay more attention why do you ask that question why is that chapter in there why do we need to understand why we eat I think exactly for the reasons you were just tripping over because <laughs> we've never asked the question. And probably if we got a hundred people in a room, maybe two of them have ever thought about it, if even that. And so in a big way, it's just to like get your mind to go, wait a second, hold on. Why do I do it? You know, what is this about? Am I trying to nourish my body? You know, which would be a really helpful way of thinking about it. Or am I eating because I'm stressed out or, you know, all these little things that just start to trickle into your mind when you actually think about it. So it's a way of like zooming way out from the food. And the habits that you have and the socialize, the socializing we do with food and around food for celebrations or breakups or all kinds of things like that so that it looks a little different. And then you have a different entry point into changing your habits with it. And what are the reasons that people eat that you come across? You know, I think... A, when I talk to people a lot about it, it's, there's a ton of social things, you know, we eat on Friday night cause we go to the bar with our friends and then Saturday we're going to have some cake because it's someone's birthday or I broke up with, you know, whoever my long-term person was. And so, so I've had 24 bags of chips or whatever, <laughs> whatever the thing might be. So there's a lot of, I, I would say the thing that's often missing is how much people eat for emotional reasons and almost never for like simply how am I nourishing my body or even how am I nourishing my mind and my emotions with the food, but they're not really coming at it out of a way that will support their life in a healthy way. So much as it like helps them out with other things in their life, like work is really stressful. So I'm going to eat to calm it down a little bit. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to throw that away, but it's worth looking at to change it so you can find maybe a better routine or way to break down the stress. Mm, and it's almost like, um, like a systematic thing with education with children. Um, I can't, I mean, I got educated in Ireland, so I can't really speak for the, for the U S but we were necess never necessarily thought about, you know, how food nourishes your body. We touched on it, but you can absolutely guess that we studied religion more than we studied, you know, food. And it's just such a big part of people's life. I'm sure that you have thought back to kind of when you were a kid growing up and, you know, everyone's parents did their best that they could do. But it's kind of almost frustrating to think, God, how come nobody's teaching kids this it's so it's such an important part of life you know food we studied in school uh, so many different subjects and, and food was part of it and, and biology was part of it but just talking about food nourishing your body was never necessarily a huge part of education and sure. although it's you know a huge part of our lives but then we're bombarded once you know we're teenagers are bombarded with advertising and different food trends and restaurants and all the selection and, and fun stuff around food and it's so hard to manage that as you know somebody who's never been taught how to do it so we just everyone seems to just kind of fall into that trap and societal norms around what food should look like and we're moving so far away from how food should nourish your body yeah you, you know? bet it was one of the things I tripped over when I was talking to the doctors because I realized 
they didn't really have a lot of information about how food affects your body, diets that are necessarily useful. Um, so much of what they were doing was like, okay, how do you keep this infection from um, killing somebody, which is a big deal, of course. I'm not you know, trying to make fun of that. But it's almost like our society kind of walked around that and not too many people really looked at it. And then you know, really devised a way of getting that for our, into our kids or into our into education or into different ways that could be useful for the overall um, population along the lines with food. And so a lot of the research that was done was like, how do we get people to buy more food? Or how do we get them to buy more food that they wouldn't normally eat as opposed mm. to this would be helpful or this would be nutritious or this would help um, people's health or, or weight or those kinds of things. So. And if somebody is listening and they, you know, how how would you go about rethinking your process of food? I know there's a lot of, and, and I encourage anybody who's who's uh, enjoying this podcast so far, there's a lot of kind of questions and um, moments in the book that you can really kind of reflect and almost write little notes in there or, you know, do um, post-it notes in there. But how do you start back to rethink your perception on food. I suppose you're really going back to your childhood. Yeah. And it's one of the things I really recommend in the book is to go back and just look at what was modeled in your family situation or, or even at school with meals, because I remember the meals we ate weren't so um, impressive in the nutrition factor when we were at school, <laughs> you know? And so I think go back and look at that and then ask yourself, you know, is this going to be helpful for me? Does this seem obviously off? Like, are you eating you know, 12 chocolate bars and a bag of chips? Um, so that you see it for yourself a little bit. And then you can narrow in and narrow in and narrow in, um, which is kind of the process in the book, just kind of walks you through a way of kind of stepping up each, each, almost eight, you could do it like daily or even all at once, but so that you look at it differently. And then you can start adding more things in it because you might find certain diets really appealing from that point. I mean, there's, there's obvious little things like, you know, more vegetables is probably most people need that. They need less sugar. You know, almost everyone around here needs that kind of thing. Um, which, which is a good place to start. If you can start with one thing that, that seems the most problematic and kind of get that out and then go to step two and step three. And I think a lot of people, they want to do it by like next Thursday at 4.30, which doesn't work yeah. very well. It's better to say, oh, I'm going to give myself six months to totally revamp this whole thing and be compassionate with yourself as you work through it. So you don't push on that stress button that makes you want to go back to those foods that help you with stress. Yeah, so you want to make sure not to kind of tr do trigger anything that's going to make you want the ice cream or or the cheetos <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah and all those things i think are a lot more um connected than we we tend to think so your mind and your emotions and your body and how they all interact along with your the way you socialize um and so every any one of those factors can throw you off when you're looking at any part of your life but with diet specifically so. yeah and ten, can you describe to me and just so people can relate how you work through that process like what kind of foods did you say so you know you're you're after being with about 50 doctors you're a little bit frustrated at this point you're still experiencing digestive issues um what kind of way did you work through food did you eliminate certain foods did you go raw or do, did you have a certain strategy that you remember yeah, the one that was most useful because I tried a bunch and I tried to follow different diets and I went back and found Ayurvedic diets and um, Chinese medicine diets and all kinds of things. And so that all gave me reference points that were helpful. But what was most helpful for me was just kind of throwing all that aside a little bit and then just 
playing with different foods at different times. And if you have like an autoimmune disorder or digestive problems, there's going to be certain foods that work well for you that don't necessarily work well for other people. You may be a little bit more limited in things that work great and things that don't. And so then you can kind of process it on your own um, just a little bit over time. Say, you know, this seems to work well for me. This doesn't seem to work well at all. I was a vegetarian for a couple of years and that was really hard on me but I didn't realize it until I went back to eating food with like meat, you know? Um, and some of that you just have to play with. Some of it won't necessarily make sense um, for what other people are doing. I also think there's an aspect of where are your family from? Um, so if you can get a little bit of stuff in your diet, that's traditional from the, like if you happen to be Japanese, Japanese food, or um, some of the things that Irish people traditionally ate or those kinds of things, that's often helpful because your genetics are somewhat programmed to eat those foods. Um, not that you're totally stuck there, but it's a good place to start as well. Um, yeah. So genetics, actually, you're actually programmed to eat those foods. It's not just a culture thing. Well, if you think about like digestive enzymes and you think about, you know, the development of certain things over time, like there's some people who can drink milk and some people who can't. And if you look at different, like my ex-wife is Japanese. She did not like anything dairy at all, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's for me, it, it actually settles my stomach down. And so it's one of the things that was really helpful. And I cut it out for a while because everyone's like, oh, this is a bad thing, but it's, it's really yeah. helpful for my body. Um, and so I wouldn't get stuck in that. It's just a place to start, you know, and I, I actually use food from all over the world. I still eat a lot of Japanese food and I eat a lot. Of, I really enjoy Indian food. Um, so they use a lot of spices and Ayurvedic medicine and Ayurvedic food. That was really helpful for my digestion. So it's, it's really worth going almost like a trip around the world and looking at different things that they eat that might be useful and try to cut out the things that are obviously off, like fried drink Twinkies or something like that. And, you know, <laughs> head, head for the things that seem like they're going to be good for you or have been used for a long time for digestion or for healing, things like that. Yeah. And it's, it, that's funny. I'm, I'm only curious about the um, the genetics part because, you know, I, I, I personally can't do spicy food at all. And obviously Irish people don't, it's not a staple in our cuisine and our culture, <laughs> sure. but it just goes to show that it's not just a thing that it's probably some of it is in my head, most likely, but, you know, some of it is genetics. It just, it's uncomfortable for me. I don't like the spice, you know, and there's probably people from, you know, different parts of the world who can't do dairy. I mean, I have no issues with dairy, but, you know, we are raised in a country that has, you know, many dairy farms, good dairy produce. So it's just, it's, that's very, very interesting to me. Yeah, it was really helpful for me to look at it from that perspective, you know, because some things worked well and some things didn't. And as I was trying to track it down, um, one of the naturopaths I met, he mentioned it and he's like, you know, it takes a number of generations for the body to change. Um, yeah. I mean, and I think you can play with that a little bit, but it's helpful to see, you know, um, especially if your parents never did, your grandparents never did all kinds of things. It's just, it's a different way into the the problem to see it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, so you talk a lot about, and I've watched some other interviews um, that you've done and you talk about how your emotions can affect your health. Do you, is that kind of in a sense of, well, this might be a starting point, but is that kind of in a sense of if somebody is down or they're in a bad mood or something significant happens, some trauma in their life, that they'll treat food in a different way? I think people maybe, and, and you, you touched on it there a little bit ago about how, um, you know, we, we're very tough on ourselves. You know, we should be able to eat very healthy. We should be able to keep up a good diet. We should be able to do all these things. But oftentimes, emotionally, it's it's harder for 
um, people. But then, you know, they go back to, yeah, but I should be able to do it. You know, so-and-so is able to do it. What kind of understanding do you have about those emotions and, and your food choices, or if there even is a real connection? Yeah, I think there's a direct connection. And I think it's the area that in particular in our society we miss is how important our emotions are and having a relationship with our own emotions in a way that's positive and useful. Not that the emotions all have to be positive, but that you can make it work for you in a certain way. And so the emotional state of people um, really affects everything that they're doing. And it really shows up easily in food. Like if you step back and you look at it, like I'm really angry, I do these things, or I'm really upset and stressed, I do these things. I'm really worried, I do those things. I feel wonderful, I do these things. And it'll show up in a lot of ways with the programming you have from when you're a kid um, in terms of the food choices you have, but also specifically in how your body feels. Like if you're really upset and you try to eat, um, if you've ever had problems with digestion, you'll notice it makes it more more tenuous in some ways because your body is changing. We were, I was talking a little bit about neurotransmitters and there's a large effect, you know, in terms of how all that stuff fits together. So where your serotonin is and your dopamine and how you're feeling about things. And so I think it's the area of life and health in general that people tend to miss when they're looking at how they're feeling, um, how their health is doing, because all those things interconnect, um, what you're thinking about, what you're feeling, what you're doing with your body, what you're eating. Um, if you eat potato chips for a week, you'll notice you start to feel really down after a while. Um, yeah. Most people haven't played with it, but if you play with a little bit of a diet that works well for you, you'll start to feel a little better over time with that. And it goes the other way. If you can work with your emotions in an intelligent way, it gets easier to make better food choices. So they fit together. And it's one of the things I've been trying to find good ways to talk about because we don't talk about it a lot. And a lot of people won't talk about their emotions at all. They just think it's sort of something to be shoved under the rug or suppressed or just let to go random and go crazy all over the place. And both of those are bad, you know, or left over time, you'll end up in a bad place with your health and with your diet. So. Mm. It's almost like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like people talk about eating disorders and, you know, purging or um, anorexia or any, any sort of eating disorders that they're a mental illness. And oftentimes if you have anorexia or anything that is considered an eating disorder, I know there's, there's a couple of them that it's a mental disorder, but we don't necessarily just because we're not on the extreme of an, of a, of a eating disorder that's classified, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, it's kind of like say an everyday day to day person is still eating. Their eating is 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 a lot of the times guided by their emotions, really, whether they're in a good mood or a bad mood, or they're determined, you know, to eat healthy, you know, and they're in a rhythm, or they're really down and they're they're having a bit of, you know, a bad couple of months and they're eating, you know, ice cream every day. <laughs> I, yeah. I I can see there's almost a connection there. It's like you know, somebody with anorexia may be the, on the extreme side of things, but you know, that's not to say there's still a connection between every nearly every one of us you know and how we how we approach food and, and people are so individual you know and how they mm. do things but the emotions they're really you know connected to everything that we're doing and if you look at the way our medicine kind of developed we had that sort of md path where they're looking mostly at your body and then we had psychiatry and psychology and they were kind of like never are we going to put these things well together although they're doing more and more of that all the time and so if you look mm. at how those things are treated you say okay this is say a mental disorder and there's an emotional component um, but maybe there's a bunch of physical things going on or maybe you have an infection that's sitting in your gut that's driving some of the mental behavior um, 
or vice versa. There's lots of ways those things fit together. And as an individual who goes through different things, in some ways you have to uncover some of that on your own, which is partly why I tried to write a book to help people do some of that. Um, because you're trying to put a lot of different parts of yourself together to make a picture that can be helpful. And so there's definitely mental parts to it. There's definitely emotional parts to it. There's definitely physical parts. There's like, for me, I had so many infections in my system. Um, one of them was a fungus. And when we finally killed that, my sugar cravings just completely disappeared like overnight. It was incredible. Wow. And I'd been fighting it for decades. Like I could smell a chocolate bar from 12 miles away. And then <laughs> we killed that. And I was like, I just don't care anymore. And it was, it was yeah. pretty amazing and spectacular. So there's all these little things and sometimes they're not so easy to find and people are trying their best to help you walk your way through it. Um, and sometimes you just got to look in a couple of places at once. So it's kind of, um, it's very interesting that you significantly for you, sugar was the biggest thing. And some people obviously are salt. Right. So, you know, there's, there's, I had a, one of the quotes that you, um, pulled out and it said it said hormones early childhood experiences sexual or emotional abuse infections intestinal problems emotional stability difficulties it goes on all (laughs) other things can all play into how we understand food and fitness which is something that we we just don't even really talk a lot about you know and and for you it was the infection in the gut or it was the um the tick bite um that might have spurred on everything but there's but there's so many different things that can happen to your body that can affect how we approach food or how we um approach food and fitness so that's really really interesting yeah and a lot of those things i've I've been i've had an interesting life and so a lot of those things are in there because i experienced it and i tripped over it and i was trying to find my way through it um and so that's why I put that that way, because most of those things I'd been through and I saw how it affected me. And then as I worked with more people, I saw how it affected them, too. And if I could get one thing across to everybody, like just thinking about it right now, just that phrase, you know, with all those different things and how it affects how you see food, that, that could change a lot for people when they're trying to diet. Because it's a much bigger thing than just, hey, I'm not going to eat these two things and I'm just going to only eat this broccoli water for three months or whatever. There's a lot <laughs> There's a lot of things that are going on with you that that are worth working through because it'll help your health everywhere. It'll help your mental health and your emotional health and your physical health and your social health and your family health. And so it's worth going through all those things, but it's a big picture thing. You know, and a lot of people, they trip over it because they don't see that. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's more of a holistic approach to your mental health as well as, you know, what you're putting in your mouth as well. Um, can you talk to me about the work that you do if, from a client perspective. So kind of some examples of if you have a client walk in, um, what kind of treatments would you do on them or any examples that you can share with us just to give an insight into, into your work. And, you know, so it might ring a bell with somebody and they'll say, Oh, that sounds like something that I need. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, For instance, I had someone who came in, who um, grew up in a, a family that was kind of famous in Hollywood. And so she had a lot of interesting body image things going on where she had to be very thin um, and the body was seen as very objective, you know? And so with her, it was a lot of getting her comfortable enough in her body that she felt okay there. And so like literally I'm working with her body in that, that case. So um, working through her back and working through the organs in her system. So the position of the stomach and liver working through acupressure and shiatsu and some of those things. So she becomes more comfortable in her body and that helps discharge a lot of that emotional stuff that can be, writing kind of high as you 
as you work through that process. And then she would say something like, you know, I think I have an eating disorder. <laughs> and so we would talk about that a little bit because it came out on its own without me even probing about it. Um, and then I gave her a few of those processes and I watched how that changed. But I think first she needed to learn how to be comfortable in her body, that it wasn't like in a big objective thing that wasn't part of her. And how do those physical movements or th- those that physical therapy, how does that make somebody feel more comfortable in their body? Because to me, being comfortable in your body is more of a mental thing. Well, yeah, because I'm usually talking to people as I go through it with them. But a lot of it okay. is getting people aware in their body. It's getting them conscious mm-hmm. of the different things so that they are comfortable in it. And that is definitely a mental thing. There's definitely a big emotional component. Um, a lot of the way I talk about it is consciousness and awareness. So they're aware and conscious of the different things in your body. Um, if you're someone who's had digestive problems, when you eat, if you really f- like pay attention to your body and you take a bite of food, your body will tell you whether it wants it or not by different feelings you'll have in your gut and things like that. But it won't necessarily come a lot away because you're not used to doing that. You're watching TV or you're watching sports or um, whatever it might be that's distracting you because we're, we almost never get into our body consciously. And so with her getting her there because she had so much negativity associated with it and like trying to fit into that culture, you know, it was really almost torturous for her to be in her body. And so I made her comfortable there and got her awareness in there. I I got her body feeling better because she had back pain and hip pain and sweet kind of got rid of that. And then over time she was more comfortable in it. And then some of the other things came up from there and then I could give her more processes to work with food itself. That's so interesting. So even just by that physical, was it acupressure that you mentioned or? Yeah, I did some acupressure. Yeah. yeah. So even just that physical touch is, is, is getting her just to alert her consciousness around her body. And again, in the book you had mentioned when you eat something, you know, be more conscious about it. And it kind of almost, you almost are satisfied sooner or you're satisfied with the whole experience as, in a, as you know, as a whole. But it's, it's very interesting how that it just affects the mind in turn. It, it actually comes from the outside. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm like always trying to get across now is how do you connect the different parts of you um, consciously so that you can work with it in, in a little in a way that works better for you overall? Because as a society, we just we almost never do it. <laughs> and, and so like it's one of the things I noticed clinically working with people. I could get their body doing better, but then they'd have some emotional habit that kept throwing things back. And so I just came up with different ways of trying to help them address that. And if it was big enough, you know, I'd send them to a therapist or, you know, get them to someone else that could help them in a little different way. Cause there might be another Avenue that's better to get into it. Um, but ultimately any way I could help people, I was trying to find a way into that door. And a lot of that was stacking. Here's how you work with your body. Here's how we work with your mind and con- you know, conjunction. Here's where we get some emotional factor in there. And that's when I really started getting bigger changes for people. Yeah. And myself. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so what, so for yourself, what are you, what's your like food? What, what do you do that helps you, you know, feel good and feel healthy? Yes. I'm always playing with food at this point because I, I noticed like I'll go through different phases where I need a little bit more, let's say protein for a while. And I do better say with beef than chicken. And so I'll have more beef that I cook because there's something about the B vitamin, the zinc and the fat that seems to help, um, help me process and move it back out where chicken doesn't have that effect. And then there's other times where I might be eating a lot of vegetable food, like vegetables often in soups. So I use a lot of broths for myself and I'll cook it down and use spices to help 
not necessarily hot spice, but any kind of spice that'll help. So turmeric is, is something I use quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I've played with that enough now. My body will almost tell me in some ways, you know, we need some of this right now. Um, and other times I'll, I'll notice for myself, I'm just playing. I'm like, ah, oh, it's Friday. It's been a long few weeks. I'm going to go have a, you know, a couple pieces of pizza or whatever. It, it, I don't think it's so good to like suffocate yourself. Um, there's got to be some fun in there too. So I play with it a lot and I move it through. But every time I sit down, I've done that process that I have in the book so often where I'm working through my body and I'm thinking about the different pieces. It's become a different kind of routine for me to go through. So it helps me process what I need at that time. Yeah. And you said, you know, your body tells you what it needs. Is that just, do you have that kind of innate ability to understand what your body needs because you're so conscious about everything that it's going through and you've done all that work because you know a lot of the time my body probably needs broccoli but (laughs) it doesn't tell me that yeah and it took it took me a long time to get there and I think in some ways I'm so sensitive to it because of the health problems and I Mm -hmm. you know I, I felt so much more but then I made the process and I really put a lot of energy and time into it because I wanted to use it for myself, but also for people that I care about who I knew were struggling. So I'm not saying people necessarily need to get where I am. Um, it's just kind of where I am now, but any entry mm. point into that where you, you get a better feeling for it. And there's times you just, you just say, okay, I'm going to eat this for four days. And, and partly that you can make it an experience and an experiment to see what it does. Um, but again, I wouldn't do like the broccoli water thing for four months. Cause you know, people get into these like really fad kind of things and then it's tough to know what your body needs. And when you come off like other people monitoring you or point systems or things like that, it can be a little tough to settle back into a normal, normal pattern where if you take a little bit more time and you work through your body and you work through your emotions and you're kind of looking at that whole, that whole thing as a project, almost like building a painting or something, you're using these different colors to work your way through it and make it kind of an adventure and fun and interesting where you're not driving yourself crazy by only eating things you hate, but also not allowing yourself to go crazy with things that you know are kind of rough for you. Um, And you can find this place in the middle and eventually it kind of lights itself up for you over time. And I I can't stress that time thing enough. You you need enough time to work through (laughs) it, Um, which might be whatever you think it is, I'd multiply it by four and start there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So if you think it's a month, go four months. If you think it's half a year, go give yourself like a year or two and just play with it for a while. Patience is a virtue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lifelong commitment and it's a lifelong journey. So it's, you know. If, if you do it right, it's self-reinforcing. So it'll start to set up in a way you're like, oh, I really like what I'm doing here because I know I really like this and it's good for me as opposed to I really want to eat that, but I'll never let myself eat that which is almost like this fighting against yourself, which is hard to maintain over decades, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to obviously plug your book. Um, It's available on Amazon, on Barnes and Nobles. um, And it's a lovely small book. And I say that because it's, that's a great thing because it's kind of not necessarily about um, a diet book, but more about a journey that you can bring yourself on, loads of questions that you can self-reflect and and come back to and study. Um, Where can people find you um, who might be in the USA? You do, do you do virtual or are you based, you're based in Wyoming, you said? Yeah, I'm in Wyoming and I have a a little clinic that I work out there. And then um, online, I have a website where I'm putting more and more information up and people can get to me there. And that's nitality.com. And that's N Y like 
my last name, N-Y, and then T-A-L-I-T-Y. So it's just a play on my last name and Vitality. Um, and I'm going to put more stuff up there to help people on their journey. Awesome. Well, congratulations launching a book in the middle of a pandemic. I noticed that the, <laughs> the launch date was the mid- middle of March. <laughs> right when it hit, my book hit. You know? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what can you do? But um, that's amazing. Um, no, really, really interesting. And I know we've only kind of touched on um, the tip of the iceberg. I can't believe it's been 40 minutes, but um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like this book could be, it could be a series. It could be you know, thousands of pages long just to talk about everything that you've touched on in here. And it's it's almost like a whole new world that people haven't even, you know, they're not even talking about. So I, I find it fascinating. I'm truly, truly passionate about it. I think that um, you probably agree that it could be thousands of pages long. <laughs> yeah. And when I started, I already had laid it out. So I've already written the second and third book. And so I have a lot more stuff coming. And I, I kept the first one small so it could, you could carry it with you. And even if you're eating, you could read it and it'd be like a friend that goes with you because I kind of used it when I wrote it down myself that way. So. But I got a lot more of that stuff coming. Oh.